So new year, new sermon series. It's entitled Strength to Strength. Strength to Strength. Um, I was uh, spending a lot of time just trying to put together this image. And I, I realized, man, that word strength is very strange. I don't know. <laughs> don't look at it too long. But <laughs> I think it's just because it only has one vowel. And it's so, anyways, strength is strength. Um, this is what we're talking about this year. The reality is that I have been convicted personally um, just that there is too much of a tendency in our spiritual journey to feel like we've arrived. Um, have you ever felt like that? Um, <clears throat> I, at the end of 2017, I completed a Bible reading plan. I felt so good about it, <laughs> you know, um, but I was, I was eager to start something new because I didn't want to feel stagnant. Um, and so I just felt led, you know, I asked God, Hey, what am I supposed to be reading right now? And so, um, in this first week I looked at the Bible app, um, Bible.com, the Bible app. It has several, like, I don't know, maybe hundreds, maybe thousands of reading plans there. And one that really stood out to me, was immersion into Philippians. And so I decided to, to check that out. It was a short seven day plan. If I didn't like it, I would just, uh, it'd just be one week long. So I started reading through Philippians and basically what it has me doing is reading all of Philippians, all four chapters of Philippians every single day. And, um, every single day, as I've just been looking for new insights from God's word, um, the verse that just keeps standing out to me is here in Philippians chapter three, verses 13 and 14. And this is taken from the NIV. It says, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Man, if there was a New Year's text, that's it right there, right? To not feel like, okay, I don't, deceive myself into thinking that I'm there, wherever there is, or I've taken hold of it, whatever it is, but I press on. I keep going towards that goal. What is that goal? To win the prize for which God has called me where? Heavenward in Christ Jesus, right? The the title for this series, which we're going to be actually exploring all throughout this first quarter, January, February, March, Strength to Strength, it comes from this, this verse in Psalm 84, verses 5 and 7. It says, Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose, heart, whose hearts are set on, what's that next word you see there? Pilgrimage. Pilgrimage. That's like a journey. You're, you have a destination in mind, and you're, devoutly, you're driven by devout purposes. You're, you're wanting to express your devotion. Whose hearts are set on pilgrimage, they go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Really interesting. In that psalm, it's actually talking about worshipers who, you know, three times a year, Passover, uh, let's see, Passover, Pentecost, and Day of Atonement. Each, each time, each of those celebrations, people were coming from all over Palestine to meet in Jerusalem. So this was a journey, a, a literal pilgrimage that they were going on. Their hearts were set on it, but their journey was described by as going from strength to strength. They realized, okay, that I'm not there yet. I want to be where God's presence is. And although this is talking about a physical journey, I think it's, a, it's an awesome metaphor for our spiritual journey, right? Uh, we want to be where God is. We want to see him, as we sung earlier, face to face. We want to know him. We want to see him. We want to know him, not just some, but more and more and more. To go from strength to strength. And so I think this is what, what, what we're talking about. The point is simply this, that being a disciple or being a Christian 
is not just an in or out status. It's not just a point of arrival. Being a disciple, being a Christian is not just a one-time or a past-tense experience. And I think that's where, you know, um, a common vernacular amongst many Christians is when we reflect upon our our spiritual journey, we we, we tell ourselves, I got saved. I don't know if if that's part of your, your vocabulary or vernacular, but I just... Whenever I hear that or whenever I'm, I tend to say that, I realize that there is a, a subtlety there or a subtle danger in feeling as though I've made it. Does that make sense? I don't know if I'm stepping on any toes or just making us feel uncomfortable. The reality is salvation is not just past tense. Salvation in Scripture is also I'm being saved and I'm going to be saved. Salvation is a full-spectrum experience, not just a point in time, but a continual journey throughout one's life. I think that's why in the book of Acts, the followers, the Christians, as they are called, they were followers of the way. Have you heard that before? They were followers of the way. Way, as in road or pathway, trail. It's not just one point. It's a continuous experience. That's why Paul says, I press on. That's why the psalmist says they go from strength to strength. In 2 Corinthians 3, Paul also says they go from glory to glory. It implies movement. It implies growth. It implies pressing on towards the mark. And so, as we begin 2018, we're going to take this whole first quarter to get specific about what that way looks like. Okay, what that journey looks like. Um, You know, in our bulletins, we have that printed. uh, We are here. We exist to make passionate followers of Jesus. Okay, they're people on a journey followers of Jesus who seek God, share life, serve the world. That's how we've articulated the discipleship experience. But I want us to break that down a little bit. How do we get passionate about something if, we're, if, it, if those experiences are still vague, if those experiences are still somewhat um, in generalities? And so that's what we're going to explore. We're going to explore what it looks like to seek God, what it looks like to share life, what it looks like to serve the world. We're going to look at it in detail And really, we're going to approach it from two different questions. One, what are the commitments involved in seeking God, sharing life, and serving the world? Like, what what am I really signing up for? I don't know. Have you ever done that? You've committed to something. You're like, oh, man, this isn't all that I thought it was going to be. Um, It was the last night. It was, let's see, the Saturday night before Christmas. Um, It was the last night that there were going to be free carriage rides in downtown Castle Rock. And we thought we would be all cool and all show up early and stuff. We got there like at 4.30. They started at 5. We closed the Sabbath there in Festival Park. But by the time we got to the line, it was like 40 people long. <laughs> we thought to ourselves, okay, we're, we're going to get in line. You guys play. Kids will play in the, in the grass or whatever. Me, mom and dad, my mom and dad. We all just stood in the, in the line. Oh, man, this is going to take forever. We started calculating it. Okay, six people per carriage. Each carriage ride takes 10 to 12 minutes. It hasn't even started yet. It's like 20 degrees right now. <laughs> anyway, so, <laughs> so we went um, and got some hot cocoa. <laughs> we got out of the line. We realized that commitment was not all that we were ready to make. And so the commitment of following Jesus, the commitment of following Jesus, I think we find this. You know, People throughout Scripture in the Gospels, um, Jesus says, hey, foxes have holes. Uh, excuse me, foxes, how does it, yeah, foxes have holes, some have dens, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Um, Another time, James and John, they have this request, hey, we want to sit at your right hand and on your left hand, and uh, Jesus says, do you really know what you're asking? 
you know? Sometimes we make these commitments and make these requests of God. We want to follow Jesus, and we're not quite sure what we're getting ourselves into. So this is what we're going to do for the next few months. What are we really committing to? What is this all about? And my goal is that for those of us who are on the, the newer side of this experience, we'll feel like, okay, now I know where we're headed. Let's turn right. Let's turn left. Let's go here. Let's go there. And for those of us who are more seasoned in this walk with Jesus, for us to feel challenged and say, oh, there is so much more. To feel like, okay, I, I can re-engage my experience with Jesus with renewed vigor and inspiration. All right? that, that's our goal. That throughout the, the next few months, we'll discover how to really follow Jesus in the way. To go from strength to strength. Does that sound good to you? Sound all right? Yeah? All right, so today is kind of an overview. We're going to study the Gospel of Matthew with this eye for the commitments of a disciple. Okay? And really, this applies a lot to that first seek God experience. Um, but uh, it, I think its implications really do apply throughout seeking God, sharing life, and serving the world. Um, but today, we're going to look at the Gospel of Matthew. So go with me to Matthew, Matthew chapter 4. And what we're going to do is we're going to find four different, um, how would you say this? Critical junctures. Four different scenes in which Jesus is calling the 12 or part of the 12 to a deeper experience. To go from strength to strength. Okay? Realize, these guys that Jesus is calling to be disciples, they are already followers of God. Okay? They already worship Jehovah the one true God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. They know that in their heart of hearts, these are people who love God. And yet Jesus has something more for them. He wants to take them from strength to strength. Okay? So, here we are. Matthew chapter 4. If you're there, say, I beat you. you. Oh, man. All right. Matthew chapter 4. I'm reading from the New King James Bible today. And we're going to go to verses um, 18, 19, and 20. 18, 19, and 20. The Bible says this. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a what into the sea? A net. Okay? Uh, Which means that they were fishermen, as Matthew so explicitly describes right there. All right. Verse 19. Then he said to them two words. Follow me. Follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. We're going to take a look at three different critical junctures, three different commitments. Actually, three different scenes, but four four commitments here. And in this first scene, there's two commitments I think that Jesus is calling these disciples to make. First of all, follow me. This is a commitment to Christ himself. All right? We're going to kind of, the the analogy that we're going to use is a cornerstone. We're laying a foundation, okay? So there's four different cornerstones, if you will, of of the discipleship experience of seeking God. And the first one that he's getting to is a commitment to Christ. It's a commitment to be loyal to Jesus alone. That's why those two words are so significant. Follow me. Follow me. Don't just follow what you've heard. Don't just follow what you've been taught. Follow me personally. Not an idea, but a person. Follow me. Follow me. Being a disciple, I would submit, only and always starts with this. We might have motivations to to get to heaven. 
And that's a, that's a good motivation. While that may be the part of a disciple's experience, it doesn't start the disciple's experience. A disciple's experience always starts with Jesus himself. I want to follow him. I want to be loyal to him. And so when we realize that we are called to Jesus, when we realize that we are called by Jesus, the result is surrender. That's why in verse 19, I'm sorry, in verse 20, it says they immediately left their nets and followed him. And then again, you know, verses 20, 21, and 22, it's, the scene is repeated. In verse 21, it says, Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets. He called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. When it comes to beginning the discipleship journey, the first commitment that Jesus wants us to make is a commitment to himself. It's a commitment to recognize that above all else, he is all in all. Do you follow that today, yes or no? Yeah? Follow me. Follow me. Now, there's another commitment here just embedded right in those, those uh, red letters in my Bible in verse 19. It says, follow me and I will do what? I will make you fishers of men. This is really cool. This is really, really cool. I mean, the whole fishers of men thing is, is awesome because they're fishermen, but now they're being fishers of men. In other words, when we follow Jesus, we don't like erase our personal identity. What he takes is our uniqueness and he uses them to bless others. I don't know if you see that. They're fishermen. This is what they are. This is what they do. Now Jesus is not just saying, okay, just throw that out. He's saying, this is your strength. Now use that strength for my glory to bless other people. Fishers of men. I like that. I like that. But what I want us to key in on is this, these three phrases, or the three, these three words, I will, I'm sorry, it's four, I will make you, <laughs> I will make you fishers of men. The second commitment, as we're laying this foundation of discipleship, the second commitment is a commitment to growth. It's not just a commitment to be like Jesus, I'm sorry, it's not just a commitment to be loyal to Jesus, but it's also a commitment to be like Jesus. I will make you into something. I don't know, sometimes we, we think to ourselves that because of where we've been or what we've done, that when I come to Jesus, um, you know, all I need is a clear conscience. But beyond that, there's no hope for me. I'll just, keep, I'll just have to keep coming to him for a clear conscience. The reality is that God, yes, he wants to give us a clear conscience. He wants to give you forgiveness. But you know what else? He wants to give you transformation. He wants to give you victory. He wants to give you a new heart, and as Ezekiel 36 says, a new heart and a new spirit to cause you to walk in my statutes. That's the promise of the gospel. And so a commitment to transformation, I love the fact that it, it's uh, in, in these words that Jesus says, I will make you. It's not that you're going to make yourself into this. It's not that you're going to try harder and to flex your spiritual muscles to make yourself fit a certain mold. No, I will do this in you. You know, reflecting back on Philippians, as I've been reading it this week, one of the key verses there, Philippians 2, verse 13. For God is at work in you to will and to do of his good pleasure. If you've ever known what God's good pleasure is, but not wanted it, or not wanted to do it, or not even known how to do it, God works in us to will that, to want that, and also to do it. That's God's work. It's not our own. So this commitment to transformation is not our work, it's His. 
All we have to do is let him fulfill the promise. I will make you. I will make you. We can experience healing and wholeness, victory and freedom. This is how sons of thunder, James and John, right? They were known as sons of thunder. They wanted to call fire down from heaven to the, those people who were resisting Jesus' uh, plans and purposes. But this is how sons of thunder could be turned into beloved disciples. And how does this happen? How does this happen? You know, between here, this first scene of Matthew chapter 4, and then the next scene where Jesus makes another appeal to the disciples, which is actually in Matthew chapter 16. We'll get to that in just a moment. If you just kind of breeze through these pages from Matthew 4 through 16, what you see is the disciples are just hanging out with Jesus. They're, they're watching him teach, or they're listening to him teach. They're watching him do miracles. They're following him here. They're following him there. They're, they're actually even being sent out to go door to door in two by twos. You know, they're, they're doing things for Jesus, doing things with Jesus. In other words, the way that Jesus grows them is by simply spending time with them. This commitment to, to growth, the second cornerstone, commitment to growth, to become like Jesus, is it, is it becomes reality as we spend time with Jesus. And this, you know, as you just kind of scan through the Gospel of Matthew, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 16. So go ahead and start turning your pages there. As you scan through, maybe you see some familiar stories. You see the Sermon on the Mount. You see some awesome miracles. You see the parables, uh, different things in Matthew chapter 13. All sorts of things. But all of this, from the disciples' real-time experience, they're just spending time with Jesus. Those are the things that strengthen the commitment to Christ, that first cornerstone, and the commitment to growth. As a result, they begin to understand what's important to Jesus. You know, as they're listening to him teach, they're realizing, oh, I wouldn't have thought of things like that. <laughs> I wouldn't have responded to this person like that. They're seeing things that don't jive necessarily with the principles of the kingdom of heaven. And they have opportunities to embrace not just what they're used to, but what Jesus is exemplifying. And this is what happens as we spend time with Jesus. This is what happens as we spend time with different family. You know, we catch their colds. We, <laughs> we, <laughs> we, um, we start to laugh like them. We start to tell jokes like them, right? This is what happens when we behold other people. We become like them. And so this is what was happening to the disciples. As they were being with Jesus, they were growing to be like Jesus. All right, so we've got the cornerstone of the commitment to Christ. You know, follow me, surrender to me, be loyal to me being loyal to Jesus. And we've got the second cornerstone of commitment to growth. That is not just a commitment to be loyal to Jesus, but to be like Jesus. What about the third commitment? Is, is, is there more beyond that? I mean, isn't that the entirety of the Christian experience? Here's the thing. That was all in Matthew chapter 4. By the time we come to Matthew chapter 16, Jesus still has more for them. This is awesome. He goes from strength to strength. All right. Matthew chapter 16. If you're there, say, I am there. All right. Let's find the verse here. And the story goes in verse 13. Verse 13. The Bible says, When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, a little bit outside the normal boundaries of where the common Jew would be found, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? All right, so here's Jesus. He has his disciples' attention. They're kind of on the fringes of, of uh, Israelite territory. 
And he has them all, he has the disciples all to himself. No, not a huge multitude around. He's like, okay, guys, at this point, you know, we've been with each other for maybe a year and a half by now. Who do people say that I am? He wants to understand what, what they under, like, he wants to take a pulse. So verse 14, so they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. So the disciples have been listening to what the multitudes have been saying been checking out the Facebook posts and tabloids and things like that. And in verse 15, Jesus gets deeper. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered. I love the fact. You know, Peter is just kind of that guy. He, he wants the gold star. You know, he, he, <laughs> he's the uh, first to speak up. Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Was he right? Yes or no? Oh, man, he was spot on. And Jesus tells him so. Verse 17, Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And, and Jesus affirms Peter for this confession of recognizing that Jesus is not just a man. He's not just a prophet. He is the anointed Messiah that Israel has been looking for for ages past. He is that one who would bring them redemption. He is that one chosen by God to give them salvation. Now, the reality is that when Peter or any other Jew of that time would say Messiah, in their minds would flash pictures of gold royalty, right? In their minds would flash pictures of of strength of armies and, uh, and taking back uh, what was rightfully theirs as far as their national identity and pushing back the Romans. Okay? And I imagine that Peter was not immune to this. And so by the time we get to verse 21, Jesus wants to redefine and clarify what Messiah really means. Verse 21. What are the first three words in your Bible? From that time. All right? Mine says from that time. Meaning, before this time, whatever's going to follow wasn't happening prior to that, right? Verse 21, from that time, Jesus did what? Began to show to his disciples. Okay, so this is the first time Jesus is showing his disciples something. This is the the critical juncture. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples what? That he must go to Jerusalem... (laughs) And suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Wow. This is huge. Remember what we read in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. Follow me. If the disciples knew that the destination that Jesus was headed to was a hill called Golgotha, that he was going to be crucified at the hands of the chief priests and scribes, would the disciples have followed him? (laughs) I'm not so sure, right? Follow me now takes on a completely different meaning. Follow me is huge. Jesus is now opening up to the disciples a revelation of God's will. In other words, this this is like a prophecy that Jesus is giving straight to his disciples. So commitment to Christ, cornerstone number one, commitment to growth, cornerstone number two, is followed up by a third cornerstone. And that's the cornerstone 
or the commitment to prophecy. It's really interesting. Commitment to prophecy. It's a commitment to understand Jesus' plans. To understand his revealed will in, in Scripture. And to actually follow Jesus with an even greater sense of urgency. This is, this is very interesting. Notice what, what happens here in Matthew 16. From verse 21, as he's opening up to them a more complete picture of, of the plan of salvation. Verse 22, Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall not happen to you. And you can kind of understand why. right? Peter doesn't want to follow Jesus there. <laughs> Verse 23, but he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan, you are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Verse 24, then, as a result, as a consequence, or as an outflow of this conversation, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his what? His cross. Take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. <laughs> the commitments of a disciple are taking on different colors, right? Commitment uh, in Matthew chapter 4, follow me. Oh man, this is a great rabbi. This is a great teacher. I want to follow him. I want to be where he is. There's, there's a lot that comes along with following Jesus, even if it costs surrendering my nets or surrendering relationships or whatever. They're willing to be loyal to Jesus. And then they're willing to be grown into Jesus' likeness. They're willing to become like Jesus. But then here, Jesus wants them to go from strength to strength. That when you follow me, when you understand my plans, when you understand prophecy, the whole point is not to scare you. The whole point is to reveal to you that when you follow me, it means more than you could possibly understand. The commitment to prophecy, I would suggest, is always at its core a commitment to Christ. That's why Jesus follows up this prediction. Hey, this is what's going to happen in the future, so take up your cross and follow me. That, I think that's why um, in Revelation chapter 12, um, one of the defining characteristics of God's end-time people, um, the people that uh, it says in 12.17, the dragon is wroth with the woman, and the remnant of her offspring who keep the commandments of God, and they have something else. Do you know what it is? They have the testimony of Jesus, right? They have the testimony of Jesus, and you're like wondering, what is that testimony of Jesus? Revelation 19, verse 10, it tells us that the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. Meaning this, that undergirding all of prophecy is a testimony about Jesus Christ. The whole point of prophecy is not to scare us into heaven. The whole point of prophecy is to call us to commit to Jesus. Amen. That's what it is. That's what it is. And so when we're committed to Christ, when we're committed to growth, Jesus will invite us deeper, just like he did for his disciples. He'll invite us into an understanding of prophecy in a more full scope, in a more full perspective, a comprehensive outlook. And what it does is it's calling us deeper calling us deeper. Not just so we can say, hey, I know the future and you don't. No. It's so that we can follow Jesus to the very end. That's why I'm so thankful for groups like Kim started a group not too long ago about um, studying the great controversy. You know, the book, The Great Great Controversy that examines those prophetic passages and things. I'm so thankful for things like Revelation Speaks Peace. You know, Uh, what Sean Brunster is doing, what many other evangelists are doing all around the world. Why? Because it's revealing prophecy 
It's revealing prophecy, not just so we can know more, but so we can follow Jesus more. You follow that today? Yeah? And so the commitment to Christ, the commitment to growth, and the commitment to prophecy, all of these three, they're laying a foundation for seeking God. But there's one more. There's one more. And I think this commitment to prophecy actually does kind of lend itself to this last one. Um, And it's this, the commitment to the second coming, to prepare for Jesus' return. Not just to understand Jesus' plans, but to prepare and to watch for Jesus' return. Go with me to Matthew 24. So you're in Matthew 16, just a few chapters later. Matthew 24. Matthew 24, Jesus is actually giving the disciples some very clear-cut prophecy. The disciples have asked, hey, what is the sign of your coming? How do we know when it's the end of the world? And Jesus is giving them throughout Matthew 24 very specific things to look for, but he does it in in a way that gives them this sense of, okay, when we see these things happening with an intense uh, frequency, and an intensity, or an increasing sense of frequency and intensity, then we'll know that his coming is near. And we're not going to go through the entire chapter, but of what I want to get to is starting in verse 36. It says uh, Jesus is talking about the, the, the return that he will come again to this world. And it says in verse 36, But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. So, even though we can look for these signs, even though we can watch with anticipation regarding certain things, there's a, a sense of uncertainty about it. And that's the specific timing. Verse 37, But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Now you know that in verse 38, when it's talking about uh, eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, there's nothing inherently sinful or wicked about these behaviors, right? We eat and drink every day. At least I hope we do, right? (laughs) Uh, People are marrying and giving in marriage. In in other words, relationships are important to people. Now what Jesus is saying is that just like in the days of Noah, people carried on with life as usual until the flood came and swept them all away. In the same way, prior to the coming of the Son of Man, even though we have these signs, even though we've been given all these prophecies, there's going to be a tendency to just kind of live life as usual. But the appeal that Jesus makes to his disciples, this is a conversation that Jesus is having just with his 12. Again, no multitudes around. It's just the 12. And in verse 42, he gives this straight appeal. My, my Bible says two simple words. Watch, therefore. Right? Watch, therefore. For you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. And then again in verse 44. Therefore you also be what? What does your Bible say? Be ready. Yes. So watch, therefore, in verse 42. Verse 44. Therefore you also be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. With each of these cornerstones, commitment to Christ, commitment to growth, commitment to prophecy, now it's really kind of the, the, the main appeal. Watch, because I am coming again. Be ready for the main event. Watch, prepare, be ready. 
And when you want to understand what does that mean, what does it mean to watch? Does that mean that, you know, every day of my life as I'm walking, you know, I'm just kind of watching the sky, keeping an, an eye glued on the clouds. Oh, that, that cloud looks like the size of a son of, of, a, of man's hand or whatever. No, that's not what it's talking about. But it's talking about a way to live in which you're constantly ready. You're wondering, how does that look like? What does that even uh, feel like? The rest of this sermon that Jesus is giving to his disciples, it continues in chapter 25. And you have three parables there that describe what it is to watch. It's the parable of the ten virgins. You know, the point is, have oil in your lamps. Don't rely upon other people's oil. Personal connection with Jesus. Others' connection with Jesus is not going to save you. It's, It's your own experience in Christ. The parable of the talents, it's using your giftedness, using your uniqueness for the glory of God. And then the parable of the sheep and the goats, living out the love of Jesus in everyday relationships. That's what it is to watch. That's what it is to prepare. I mean, we can go into a whole other sermon regarding that stuff. But here it is, the commitment to the second coming is really a commitment to be ready for the main event. The mature disciple then has a grand vision lives with this constant blessed hope, as the Bible describes. The mature disciple has a grand vision of the second coming that compels him or her to make disciples, compels him or her to lead others to seek God also. When we're committed to Jesus' coming, we'll keep this fresh. We'll keep this in our hearts and minds. We'll we'll keep our hearts set on things above and not on things on the earth. We'll offer to Jesus our time, our talents, our treasure, So our lives can be an answer to the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Man, I want my life to answer that prayer. To to hasten Jesus' soon return. How about you? The commitments that we've talked about, really, um, this is just kind of laying like a a broad overview of what it is to seek God. And over the next few weeks, we're going to start looking at the, the habits that actually allow us to live out these commitments. Next week, I'll give you this uh, short, I think it's like a 15-question assessment, self-assessment. How am I in my discipleship journey? What are the habits that I'm weak in? What are the habits that I'm strong in? And what can I do over the next six months to grow in? So come back next week. We'll kind of get into the more practical things of this in terms of habits and things. But when it comes to these commitments themselves, I want to ask you a question. The commitment to Christ to be loyal to Jesus a commitment to growth, to be like Jesus, a commitment to prophecy, to understand Jesus' plans, and then a commitment to his second coming, to understand or to prepare for Jesus' return. When it comes to these commitments, I'm going to ask you some reflective questions here just now. Which of these commitments, you don't have to raise your hand or, or answer out loud, but which of these commitments have you already made? Which of these commitments are, are commitments that, that you resonate with personally? Just think about that. And then a follow-up question. Which of these commitments have you not made? Which of these commitments do you feel like, man, I'm not so sure about that? In other words, which of those do you sense God calling you to strengthen? Are there commitments here on this list? You're feeling like, you know what? I've made this commitment, and I I feel like that's a vibrant reality in my experience. But there, there are, are commitments here or a commitment that, that I'm really wanting to grow in. And maybe that's something that over the next few months as we journey together to become more like Jesus, 
as we journey together to be fully devoted followers of Christ, maybe that's a commitment that the Holy Spirit's going to zone in on for your, uh, in your experience. Whether it's growth, whether it's loyalty, the first base there. Like, have I left nets? Have I really severed all so I could follow Jesus with all that I've got? Maybe it's prophecy. You're wanting to explore more of God's plan so that you can follow him more heartily. Or maybe it's the second coming. You're, you're wondering, is that hope really driving my every behavior? Is that hope really an everyday experience for me? So as you're thinking about these things, maybe even talk about it over lunch today. What are the commitments? What are the commitments that I, I want God to strengthen in my life? Are you seeing something up there? Yeah? I hope so. I hope so. Because I, I really feel like God is going to take us from strength to strength over the next few months. Right. So let's pray towards that end. Let's pray. Father in heaven, oh, I thank you so much for the privilege of being able just to look, to look at how disciples walked with you back then and how you want to walk us on this journey of discipleship today. Lord, there are commitments that you called the disciples to and there are commitments that you're calling us to. Lord, I pray that wherever we are, um, if we feel challenged today, if we feel affirmed today in our journey with you, if we feel um, like there's a little bit more clarity or maybe even less clarity about these things, I, I ask God that you would take us to the next step, whatever that next step is. <clears throat> I'm asking God that um, over the next few weeks and months, that our journey with you would become very real. It would become progressive. That if there, has be- if there has been any stagnancy that has settled in, I pray we would adopt the, the mentality of the Apostle Paul to not consider ourselves as having already attained, but to press on towards the goal of the upward call of Christ. Lord, I, I ask that whatever the barriers to our growth in Jesus, you would overcome them. And that most of all, you would take us and prepare us and use us to prepare others for your soon second coming. We pray this in Jesus' saving name. Let everyone say, Amen. Amen.